Should we, you want to open up the food? <laughs> uh, do you want me to go first? Mine is less exciting, so I'll just do it. I don't think so. Did you use all baking this morning? Wow. It's like a little platter of yes. so, nuts, dried fruit. Yes. So, yes. And apples and Racine Kringle. So has anyone ever had Racine Kringle? So no, I don't know what made that is. in Racine, Wisconsin, oh. which is where my great aunt lived and I always would go and visit. And they now serve, they all, they have this at Trader Joe's. What? And it's from Racine. Is it the, it's actually big from package. the town of Racine. It is, yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. This yeah. is just like you were walking through Trader Joe's and just got warped right I just, back. Yeah, I Wisconsin. love it. It like, makes me so happy. <laughs> What's in the tinfoil? I brought it. Oh, you did. Okay. Banana bread. Chocolate oh. chip banana bread. Did you make that? Yep. No way. I did. I, so I, can, I know. I, I sometimes bake. I would say this isn't my best. It's a little dry. But oh, really? It looks good. Yeah, man. it's not as good as the loaf I made you. Hello, and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, an artist, therapist, and writer. The Appetite is all about bringing themes from our work as eating disorder clinicians to the greater community. We talk all about food, body, sport, and mental health. So this is a fun day because we have um, a lot of different intersecting relationships here in the studio. We have Mark Canlis here, who is the co-owner, third generation Mm -hmm. co-owner of Canlis Restaurant Mm -hmm. in Queen Anne. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) We're so glad to have you. I used to work for Mark, so this is fun. Um, I worked at Canlis about five years ago, and Julie and Kara are here, and they're good friends with Mark. So we've got a lot of different relationships. Um, how did you all initially meet? We met, gosh, was it was it around 15 years ago? It was when you were pregnant with your first Yeah, so 13, child. I guess 13 yeah, years 13 ago. Yeah, 13 years ago, we decided, um, I I think a couple of us decided that we wanted to have a couple's small group. Um, and there was, there was five couples, and we each knew a couple that we were inviting. And so I know I personally didn't know Mark and Anne Marie Canlis yet, um, but we came together as a weekly small group, and we've been meeting weekly for the last 13 years. We were like couple set up. Yeah, couple set up. <laughs> I don't think I actually knew, but no, a couple said, you're going to yeah. love this couple. Yeah. I feel like I was set up for both yes. of Yeah. We went and to it Scarlet was, And it totally worked. Yes, yeah, totally. And how many kids now? We we started off with one, with Anne-Marie being pregnant, and now there are... 15? 15 kids. Wow. Amongst, yeah. 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 So it's pretty kids. fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm expose how I feel I about that. that but right. yeah, no, it could be kind of chaotic. Yeah. We have a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been an incredible 13 years. Um, getting to know one another and just um, being committed to those relationships and watching them grow. It's not always been easy, but mm-hmm. it's been great. Mm. So I'm excited to be here with the three of you. I know. Yeah. I know. And it, it's maybe a surprise for listeners to have you on here um, when mostly we talk about eating disorders and you have an amazing fine dining restaurant. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we will go into sort of why we think that those two things are actually well married, um, but it's fun to sort of have these two worlds collide. So we had this idea, Mark, to bring food, well, yeah, as what, you might know, you it's here. So this is a bag. It's going to be there. a lot of paper coming out of here. So does anyone recognize this wolf what? symbol on the front of the bags? Oh, is, this, anyone know the, what that is? No. is this the, the no. um, place on stone? 
Yes. This What's is it called again? Sea Wolf yes, Bread. Sea Wolf. Everyone should oh, take one. Wow. And just, it's a croissant. You oh, should take it really? out and look at it. Okay. I understand <laughs> some people might have had breakfast, but you should just look at this work of art. It's beautiful. So, um, one of the things that, just to sort of anchor this conversation a little bit, um, one of the things that we are really aware of as clinicians working with eating disorders. I love that you're smiling at my croissant so right good. now. I'm sorry. Like, I know. I knew you were going to say something. And I'm like, this is my moment <laughs> to just eat the big part yeah. of the croissant. Yes. And, then I just, and then you caught me. You yeah. had to say no. no, it's good. You're <laughs> beaming. That's good. It's so good. <laughs> right? Look at so it. I know. I hope you guys are all now Seawolf fans. I think, is it, can I coin a term? It was, it was a croissant eruption. That's what it was. It was like this full on. <laughs> Um, okay. Oh my gosh. Carter, where did you want to take us? Wow, no. Carter, I like, I like where you're around this. Well, it's funny. I think what's happening right now speaks to, I think, what gets me really excited in general about food is that it is distracting like this. It's really fun to be in a moment and get to chat with people and say, oh my God, like, no, look at the lamination. <laughs> look at that. There's like 60 layers of butter right there and you can see them. Yeah. So great. Anyway, what I was going to say probably was that um, what feels important about this conversation and as clinicians working with people with eating disorders is that they don't get to do this a lot of the time. People that are also focused on their body image, focused on a diet, they're not getting to have these moments of connection or the joy in looking at these layers of butter here mm. and the like crispiness of this dough. I mean, it's that would maybe be a threat. That would mm-hmm. be read as a threat rather than a place to be connected or delighted. Um, and so I think, Mark, for you to be here as one of the co-owners of one of the best restaurants in the country, world, and to be talking about food with us mm-hmm. is is really special. And I think is a, a strange, um, maybe some could say a strange uh, merging of worlds, mm-hmm. but actually Julie and I talked maybe two years ago, probably when it had sort of dawned on both of us. We were doing uh, meal outing with the clients together for a few years and taking clients to places. And we talked a long time ago about what it would be like to take clients to Canlis. And for Julie and I, I think when we were talking about it, and I feel this way strongly, that there would, of course, be sort of a strange thing asking people to come to Canlis and sit there and say, you know, Here's the steak knife. Here's the bread knife. You know, water Mm. glasses go there. (laughs) But um, it is also an entrance into a different way of being with food. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, of course, sort of the fine dining aspect part of it that's maybe not going to be accessible to everybody. Um, But I think it asks people to to be with food in a really different way. So Mm. even though we're not taking clients to you, it's fun to take you here with us. I think there is something universal about any of us who are in the business of um, hosting people at the table mm-hmm. and whether that's, you know, a fancy restaurant or one that is not fancy, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about something that's like universal to everyone. And whether you're doing that out at a restaurant or, or whether it's at home, you know, hopefully a couple or two or three times a day, this is something we're doing. We're like being called back to the table. And, um, or to a burrito in your car, whatever. Like, I'm not even so crazy that it has to be time at the table. I'm a huge believer in it, but I also just think there's something 
Um, or we're not boa constrictors, right? Like we don't eat a deer and then just digest for a month and a half. Like we, <laughs> we're like, we're fragile and we're, and, and there's a vulnerability in that. Like every day you get hungry mm-hmm. and even no matter how much you eat, like the next day you're probably gonna be hungry again. And there's this neediness that we have. And I, mm-hmm. I love it. And I, I think that is, um, yeah, that's canless and that's the pizza shop around the corner and that's a taco shop and a burrito. Like it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. So. And a table at Opal, right? Yeah, like right. meeting people at such a vulnerable place where they don't really want to come to the table. Yeah. But that we will continue to provide that consistency mm-hmm. and presence and environment that would allow for them to maybe reset that mm-hmm. and think about the table differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that you said, Mark, um, that there's a neediness that we sort of can't get away from of being hungry. And I think that it's also sort of a relational neediness too that I think we all get confronted with whether or not we grew up having family dinners or not. Um, some sort of neediness that is often, um, it can be something that is found in receiving or giving food. Like I need food from you. I need to sit down and have food. As a child, someone's going to give me food. Mm-hmm. You can't get away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I worked at Canlis. A striking piece of art in the space was the corridor at the front of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe that it was your mom or your parents My that mom. put it there? Yeah, okay. she fell in love with that thing. What is it? It um, So a corridor is the innermost... Um, you guys, I'm no historian here. or But essentially, in ancient Japan... Um, everyone keep their most valuable possessions in one space, in like one treasure house. And this was the innermost of three doors. So it was the, the, the last barrier between what you held most sacred and the world, right? Whether that was a flood or a fire or a thief, um, we, we communally kept our things together in this safe place. And mom... I mean, it's it's made of like Japanese cypress. It's a beautiful thing. But on hearing the story, she just was like, oh, that is what we are doing. And it just um, it spoke to her. And she said, uh, this is this is what a restaurant does. And this is what a restaurant at our caliber should be doing. It's holding sacred and protecting the valuable things that people bring us. And whether that is um, your time or your your money, you know, we charge a fortune to dine there. Um, whether it's your like daughter's only 16th birthday, right? Like these things we don't get back. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really, I think the, the gift of trust that a guest is giving us is by saying, Hey, look tonight, tonight really needs to matter. Like I can't do this again. And I, and I came to Canlis because I was really hoping, I was really believing that, um, that it would be safe here, right? It's not dissimilar from, saying, I'm going to take this this family heirloom, this treasure, I'm going to place it in this place. Is it safe? Like, yes, you know, we've got this corridor in front of it. And I really, um, I feel like that's what's common to everyone who walks in the front door. They all have this um, this common need that tonight needs to matter. And I think that unites us in a way. And I think that's a lot of what you feel when you're in the restaurant is you feel this sort of 150 people all with a common need. Kind of like when you get on an airplane. Everyone needs to go there. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it just brings this kaleidoscope of different kinds of people. And they're sitting there and it's like, okay, we're all in this together. Literally, this tube way up high in the air. And a restaurant is, is similar in that way. It's like tonight, whatever, it's your birthday and it's your anniversary and it's 
you know, your son's birthday and it's just like the two of you sitting there and you don't get that. You don't get that again. And I think it's a reminder to us to re- to just sort of say this is what we're actually doing. We are making a safe place for this stuff to happen. So it hangs there right there in the entryway. And um, yeah, it's been a it's been a cool symbol for just what we hope the restaurant can be. And it's still there? It's still there. It's still there. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah, totally. We haven't moved it. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me feel safe. Actually, Uh, right after you left, we took it down. (laughs) You know, Carter's gone. It just doesn't feel the same. Yeah. (laughs) Yank the door. (laughs) I don't want you to feel bad about that. (laughs) (laughs) God. That's a very heavy thing. It's a very heavy thing. Um, I think that safety is a really important cornerstone when we talk about being around the table. And I think particularly with eating disorders, there's not a lot of safety. I think that people feel in their bodies, that they feel around food. And I would also project saying like that they don't necessarily feel around other people, Hmm. Um, that sometimes the food can be the way that they manage the anxiety of being there, Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, Julia, I'd love to hear from you kind of like how you see these two worlds colliding, um, particularly as a dietitian. Mm I see it I, so many ways. I think I I have, like Carter mentioned, sort of dreamt of the day that we could take clients to, to Canlis and Mark, you would have to be there. Um, but <laughs> I and maybe that's because that makes me feel safe um, mm-hmm. in that same way. But I'm like, Mark would make them feel welcome, would would allow for them to see food in the table differently and like bring something to that moment. But um, it also has always felt too risky. Right. Because not everybody's ready. Is it maybe ready to receive that? So maybe it'd be something as a graduation. <laughs> Somebody get to a stage. But um, but yeah, I, I, I see us aiming, I guess, in the midst of the, um, the, the treatment table, like the table that we eat together and dine together at Opal. I see us trying to bring that same kind of safety um, and that same kind of connection and to re- renew, I guess, what relationship around the table could look like. And so I, and I think ultimately to allow for people to go to the pizza shop or to fine dining and be able to engage in humanity in the way that is just, keeps us going, literally physically at the cellular level keeps us going. And then also at the emotional and relational. At the relational level, it keeps us going, right? Yes. Like, it, like it's, it's something that you, that you need. Like we're built for and structured and created to be in relationship. Mm-hmm. And this is, um, yeah, this is one of the few times you get to do that intentionally. And, um, you know, the table is not a safe place. Interestingly, you said, like, I would want you to be there. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, what happens here, like it's, it's kind of, let's just be honest. Like I have to, like, I got to look at you and you guys are all mm-hmm. looking at me and, um, it's this turning towards, and uh, the mission of the restaurant is to do that, right? It's to inspire all people to turn toward one another. And to me, that is the sort of, whether that's the physical thing of actually turning our body towards one another, or really more the relational thing of being able to stay present with, a table does that. It is inviting you um, to to stay turned towards people, and that is vulnerable. Like sometimes I want to hide I want to turn away. I am not ready for this level of um, being seen and being known. And whether it's not like, you know, croissant crumbs in your beard or like, <laughs> you know, like or broccoli in your teeth or whether that's probing and you asking questions and I have to like sit there and 
and really be present with you and really answer this question. Like all of that to me is the magic of what is happening. And you're doing that while you're, while you're breaking bread, banana bread, so to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that, um, yeah, we need that relationally. And we, and we, we have so many excuses not to spend time there. Yeah. One of the things that I've been hearing at d- different points in this conversation is our clients that struggle with eating disorders definitely say no to food and say no at the table a lot. So I'm envisioning the invitation for tea or the decaf coffee at the end of the day. There's no's a lot mm-hmm. around food. And I think also the no's to connect and to look at each other and be present. And um, part of recovery so much is just allowing one to say yes mm-hmm. and be present and see what might come. Mm-hmm. So if somebody comes to this table right now and says yes, does it mean that they eat something of all of it and overdo mm-hmm. it and you know distracted by the food and can't even stay connected to the conversation? Maybe, mm-hmm. um, but it also can mean coming and saying yes and ending up with crumbs on their plate and bites out of everything, but also that's a yes. And so much, I think our clients fear that they're just going to be just taken by the food mm-hmm. and the food is going to be the thing that's going to overtake them. Oh man. Yeah. The food is not the thing. No. If I could like, if, if, I could hear, if I could have people hear one thing about the restaurant, mm-hmm. I would say the food is not the thing. And I would say that with chef sitting next to me and my arm over his shoulder. And he's, <laughs> um, he knows that. I think it's why we love him so much. Um, we all get that. And um, I, gosh, I love your idea of saying yes. I, every night I meet someone who says to me, I waited my entire life to come here. Oh, wow. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> right? That's not about food. That We're not at mm-hmm. all talking about eating right now. We're talking about like, I have driven past your restaurant and I've always wanted to come. And tonight is the night, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so the food is just um, a way to honor that. And I don't know what she's talking about. Like, I don't know why tonight... Versus the last 50 years of you driving up or down 99. Like, I don't know what's going on. And maybe the guy is standing there and he, he you know, either he feels shame that he hasn't brought his wife in or he feels um, embarrassed that he never could afford it or he feels like the, the other 49 anniversaries. Like, you don't know what's happening. You don't understand the dynamic. Um, but there's this huge desire to take anything you have in your pocket and, like, present it to them and say, oh, I have this. I have like a table with a window or I have Carter's or server or I have like this really special dish we've been working on forever. Like it's this desire to sort of Mm -hmm. to like uphold and honor whatever's going on in their relationship. And Mm -hmm. it's not about food. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, gosh, all we have is 16 dishes. I hope one of them works for you. (laughs) And that to me is like what the wine list is about. Nobody really cares about that. I don't care about 100 pages of wine. I don't. I care that like. The one night that I go in with my brother, Brian and I just realized we've never dined there together alone, which is crazy. What? Our parents were already there. We can talk about that with a therapist later. (laughs) We just, right? And so here we were at the table and our wives were like, have you guys ever done this? I'm like, no, we haven't. And we wanted to order a bottle of wine and we we wanted a wine that like, that kind of stood for what we were doing. Yeah. And that's like, that's, it's not about the wine. It's about, hey, I'm sitting here in this restaurant that I've like, sweat and blood with with my brother and we've never really done like the, mm. like and so the wine in that way is honoring the people the people aren't honoring the wine and even though the wine sits there in the middle of the table and you're all like focused on it or the candle or whatever it is it's it's not so that we put our attention on that thing in the center of the table it's that the thing in the center of the table reminds us to stay yeah. focused on one another does that make sense mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. i get to visit um 
maybe the most like hallowed vineyard in the world and um, spent some time with the winemaker. And it's at a place in France called Domaine de la Romani Conti, right? And we're standing in this vineyard called Romani Conti. Okay. So these bottles are like just stupid expensive. And he took us downstairs and we're um, in his cellar and he's opening up this wine and dad, who's with me, like our whole family with, in his best French, just trying to say, like, put the brakes on. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, not for us. Like, we, we, mm-hmm. like that's, that's not. And the winemaker essentially says, you have, you have no idea. So I make this wine and I'll tell you, it's worth nothing in the bottle. Now we're sitting in a cellar where like every one of those <laughs> bottles would sell in the restaurant for a thousand or five thousand, right? Like they're clearly worth something. Mm-hmm. And the winemaker, the creator of this thing, is saying uh, they're not worth anything in the bottle. They're, they only <laughs> gain value when they're open and shared among friends. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's what I created them mm-hmm. for, right? So that just sort of understanding around, yeah, it wasn't that the winemaker knew what you'd be doing with it. He just wanted to put the best thing he could in that bottle so that five years later when you pulled it off the shelf, it would honor your desire. Yes, Does that make sense, absolutely. right? And I think that is so much about dining in every meal, mm-hmm. like whether that's like your mom's, you know, meatloaf <laughs> that she puts out there. Like it, it, it's more just like, hey, the meatloaf is saying, come home. Like, let's mm-hmm. face one another. Like, let me hear, I don't know. Let me hear where you're at. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's this Henry Nowen writes this book, um, which is like Mark Canlis sized. It's like 62 pages, right? So it can be drink pick up. And I love it um, because it was sized just for me. Mm-hmm. And in it, he talks about toasting. And, and I think just the wine mm-hmm. thing pulls it up, but we all have coffee cups, right? So if I had a pot of coffee and Kara, I poured you some, and then Julie, I poured you some, and then I poured you some, and I had some. Right, they're not going to be the same. And what I love about this is that, of course, with wine, you like you don't fill the cup all the way up, right? Um, and so I just see this symbology of, um, well, you gave me my portion, and then you also didn't fill it up. And I just think that's us at the table. Like we arrive with like this is who we are, and this is who we aren't. Like mm-hmm. this is what I have, and this is what I don't have. And the toasting is sort of a, an acceptance of that. It's like this is me. I did great in a soccer game today, and I like failed my math test. Mm. Like I did great in this conversation and I just got too angry at my kids in that one. Like it's sort of coming together and saying, this is all I got. Mm-hmm. And I'll, and I'll hold that up with you and I'll hold that up with you and I'll be seen in that way. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is, a, mm-hmm. is what the table's about. Mm. Isn't it about all this yummy food in front of us? Yeah. It's that the food is just celebrating our willingness to be present with one another. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I feel, I feel like the sad part too is that those that struggle with eating disorders feel like their presence at the table has to be perfect and it has mm. to communicate exactly what they want it to communicate to those mm-hmm. around them um, by the choice that they're making in terms of the food or the way in which they behave and the way that they might say something and just that, that um, tyranny of having to have it be perfect and exactly the way that they want it to be um, robs, robs them. Well, it sounds right. like that's more than even just in, like who doesn't want to sh- not show up perfect, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, like I think we all just want to arrive that way. I don't want to be seen for, for like any of my insufficiencies. Sure. I want to show up at the table and look gorgeous. I want to mm-hmm. show up at the table and sound great. Yeah. I do not want to be seen for all of that other stuff. And, and yet like, here we are hungry again. Like we need to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was thinking about how um, in one way, like the, the control that is often there or, or maybe sometimes the lack of control that is there in an eating disorder um, keeps you very much from presence. Um, and even though we're talking about so much of this both being the food and not being the food at the same time, I see another place where it's sort of not the food and is the food in that it, it asks you to be in your body in a way that is maybe messy, like the crumbs and, you know, being distracted by how freaking good this croissant is, like that that you're there and also don't have total control at the same time mm-hmm. because your senses have to show up and they're giving you information. It's not just about like, I'm going to be sort of in this box of experience right now and come at you with this perfect thing to say and I know what's going to happen. Um, there's a, a bit of lack of control that has to happen when you're in your body that is where you can be connected. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been wondering, Kara, about you. And I'm so enjoying this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been wondering, yeah. uh, you know, we don't necessarily name this a lot, but you have a background in marriage and family therapy mm. specifically. And I'm curious what you think about sort of the the role of family or how family plays into this um, idea of being around a table, particularly as we think about Thanksgiving coming up and... Hmm. I mean, you know, I guess what I'm really, I don't know, it's hard because what I'm thinking up to is more my own personal experience, I guess, of of being at the table with the eating disorder and being in this moment, engaging in food and conversation and people in such a different way. It's such a different felt experience than it was in the past. Um, And so... I guess that's what I'm distracted by, to be totally honest. Yeah. Tell us about that. (laughs) Talk about that. Yeah. I feel like that's where my mind is. Um, Go there. Yeah. So I do think, I mean, as Julie's talking about our clients, I mean, I, I, I have that lived experience of seeing, like, if I would have been at this table, you know, in my 20s, I would be completely distracted. 90% of my thoughts would be on this food. I would be, thre- it, it, re- it really did pose a threat to um, even my, uh, my system, my body. Um, and I would have been concerned about, I mean, even look, I remember even looking at food, I would think I was gaining weight. Um, just noticing anything that would, that I would just equate to my body will get larger as a result of eating. Um, and thinking about the table and the strategy and how do I appear quote unquote normal. Um, but I'm terrified to put any of it into my body and certainly not, um, present to the people in the conversation in any, um, in any way. And it makes me just sad. Like I I see kind of Julie tearing up as she's thinking of our clients and I, it's, it's a sad, it's, it's sad to approach the table in that way. Um, and then to know now, like what a difference it is to, I mean, I'm just getting pleasure watching, um, Mark and uh, Carter talk about these croissants like that there's so mm-hmm. much more beyond it, it, even within the food to enjoy and to seek the pleasure and live with that being safe and okay um, and then it just be part it takes its kind of place as part of the experience right it mm-hmm. I think of when you recover from an eating disorder food becomes it goes back to its rightful it's part of it but it goes back to its rightful place versus it being kind of this massive the only thing that you can see at a table. And then once you have safety with food, I mean, then there's all these other ways like you're talking about that you can be safe or not safe at a table in the presence of people. Um, 
And so, I mean, certainly now I can experience the variety of that, of who I'm with and what we're talking about and maybe my desire for particular levels of connection and conversation and what if what happens if it doesn't come and, you know, sort of, um, yeah, like the, those just so, such satiating moments when you're when you're like our I think of every year we do a Friendsgiving meal with Mark, actually, and his wife and, and there's 10 of us that do it. And that's one of those just satiating rituals that we have that. We're with dear friends. We feel safe as a couple. We feel known as a couple, mm-hmm. my husband and I, and we're enjoying remarkable food with people that love food. And it, it's part of the experience, but not all of it. And um, that's to me, like on the one end of the continuum of feeling known and safe and 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 loved and full. And then there's you know, there's obviously that can't be every meal. <laughs> like there's going to be meals that are just like he said, a burrito in a car. You know, there's not it's it, it's all it's not all going to look like you know, that. You say Thanksgiving, er, Friendsgiving. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, we call it Friendsgiving, <laughs> but th- I wasn't even thinking about that. And then the minute you said it, um, I did not think about food. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about the relationships. I thought about the anticipation to be together. Um, I thought about um, what it's like sometimes, you know, we've done that in a formal setting, we've done non like everyone dressing up and how that's like honoring one another in this sort of weird old fashioned way. <laughs> I think of so many other things than the, the food. food. And um, sometimes it happens at Canlos, yeah, so the food should be good, but it's not, gosh, it's not about that right. for me. I was going to ask about that actually with, with sort of the difficulties of, the difficulties of family sometimes. Um, just, I guess, wondering for people that are listening that wouldn't necessarily have a Friendsgiving or yeah. wouldn't necessarily ever go to Canlis, but, um, you know, how do we how do we encourage people to be in some space of seeking that kind of connection? Um, I know that we do that a lot in our work with clients, for sure. Um, but I feel right now sort of a deeper sense of the soulful connection that is required and that we're talking about. And um, I'd love to hear if you all have ideas about this. Like what what would you say to someone that maybe doesn't have a community that they feel close to and maybe can't think of a restaurant that they, they love or that they could afford to go to? But, you know, what would what would you want to tell someone to do around Thanksgiving mm-hmm. in order to be sort of in this spirit that we're talking about? You know, I think um, one of my favorite things in the world is Tim's Cascade Jalapeno Potato Chips. Oh, yeah. And, good. <laughs> you know, you can't eat too many because they, they could wreck you. But it, it feels like, I don't know, for me, it feels like cracking a cold beer and opening a thing of potato chips is this special moment. It's like this me moment. And sure we could all um envision this sort of like martha stewart norman rockwell thanksgiving table where there's you know an infinitely perfectly brown turkey and like 52 dishes i also feel like thanksgiving is um a cold beer and potato chips and that you could sit and you could say i'm doing this for me i am thankful for this and this is my ritual right now and that would be a feast I think the, the feasting that's going on there is the making space for yourself and kind of opening your heart up to just saying like, this is what I have and I am thankful for it. And whether you have much or whether you have little, it's the exact same feast. Do you know what I mean? And 
how many people do that well with little and how many do it really poorly with much? Mm -hmm. Like, I think we see examples of that all the time. And so that's a reminder to me just that it isn't about what's on that table or who's around the table. Sometimes it's just about like approaching it with the right um, spirit. Mm -hmm. And I would um, desire that for anyone going into the holidays, I think is the, is the, um, the freedom to approach that table with the right spirit and says, this is what I have and I'm thankful for it. Like that to me is the magic of that holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carter, you, you were asking about the like marriage and family therapy side. Yeah. Um, and I think of with family systems going off of what Mark's saying is there is so much pain when it comes to the holidays within family um, systems. And there can be a lot of grief. There can be a lot of disappointment, um, trepidation, not wanting to be with the, you know, like maybe... Um, wanting to avoid the family gatherings. Um, and so I would, I, I think I'd echo, you know, something that Mark said about there's always an invitation there if you are pr- more present with yourself um, of connecting more to where you are in that, where you are in whatever stage of life you're in to connect with yourself, um, to be more present with yourself and that is something you can bring regardless of who you're around and the disappointments you're around. And it's okay to be, I mean, most people have disappointments. There's not this perfect family that all the needs are getting met from your family of origin. I mean, that, that is not, um, it's, that's more of a fantasy. And so knowing that that's probably a fantasy for everyone. I've been living a fantasy. It's a fantasy. It doesn't happen that way. No. So that to know that we're all not alone in that, but then how do we connect back to ourselves and bring kind of a more authentic experience for ourselves in, in the, you know, in the dining experience, which might be you leave your family table and you go for a walk by yourself um, you take the moment to kind of respect that within mm-hmm. with what you're go- what you're going through, even if you're not going to get the validation from the people around you. Yeah, and that reminds me, Kara, of Mark's comment about the toast. Like it's yeah. a moment to say, "This is where I am. Totally, like, this is who I am. This is like where I've been, and maybe what I want, or I don't know." <laughs> right. It's an honoring of what is. Yeah, you're exactly. Kind of blessing what is instead of what isn't. And I think for mm-hmm. my own self, like it's so easy. To focus on what isn't, mm-hmm. what like what I'm not, right. what I'm missing, right? And I don't think, um, I don't think that's. I don't. There might be maybe time and space for that in other in other places, but to me, that's not the table. It's certainly not the Thanksgiving table. Mm-hmm. Like that table is to bless what is, and I think it's hard. Like it's hard to want what you have, and because um, often what we have like isn't awesome. Like it's like either broken or messy, and but but then I think, in so many ways, it is. And sometimes we need, like we see that best reflected in the people around us at that table, like who are who are able to actually see you and be like, actually, what I see is amazing, and it's not so bad over there. Like like mm-hmm. you know, from where we're sitting, we really like that. And mm-hmm. I think we see that at the restaurant actually all the time. We see this sort of. Um, transformation of people who came in scared. I would say that most of my guests come in feeling fear. Yeah. Um, that they're not enough. Uh, that they don't um, belong. Like when I walk onto an airplane and walk past first class, I, like I say to myself, like, oh yeah, these are not my people. Like this is not my place. Like this is not my thing. And and I think most people walk into the restaurant that way. Like most people that dine there are not billionaires, movie stars. Um, they're just like us. They are like normal people who waited 
most of their lives to come in for a special mm -hmm. time. And, and yeah, there's a fear there. Like, will I be accepted? Like, am I enough to sit here? Mm -hmm. And um, resounding, like Yanlis would say, you like, you're enough. Like, mm -hmm. you're in fact, you're exactly the person we were hoping. Like, you're exactly the person that belongs. And I don't think that's a Yanlis message. I think that's like one that we all need to mm -hmm. hear. And I think I just run a company that way because it's deep down like what I want to hear and it's deep down like what I want the people around me to hear which is like no you you are enough like you like this chair was for you and that table was set for you and mm. it's hard to hear that like we need people to tell it to us we do yeah. we do I want to believe that we also are in a community and a city with people around us that have that same spirit. And when I when you ask that question, Carter, of like, what would you tell somebody that didn't have any friends or don't have community? I just think the word ritual came to my mind, which has been said a couple times since then. But I think of what routines are you already doing um, that you can pause and sit in and keep your eyes up and make eye contact and make connection with the people close to you. So that might be the library. And who's the person that works there when you go there every Tuesday afternoon? Or who's the person that you walk by on your way to your work or at the bus stop? And just say hello and have a friendly face and, you know, just what's that connection? And in that, I just know that there's so many wonderful uh human connections that can come from the bus drivers and the librarians, the, of, of the people that we mm -hmm. walk by and we're part of every day that don't cost us a cent, um, but that are just a part of our living um, and in this community. And I have to believe, I want to believe that um, there are people like us around this table that also have the same spirit to live life this way mm -hmm. out there in those common spaces and want to give that same um, to the people that they're interacting mm -hmm. with. I'll have to find this article, but my dad speaks to this article a lot. Um, he's always sending me articles. And this one, it talks about how we need multiple different kinds of connection, that we need our most inner circle, we need our broader community, and then we need, like, the butcher and the baker and the barista, that we have that sort of regular um, touch point with that maybe doesn't know the depths of our life, but they're there and they see you. And if you didn't come for a week, they would know. Yeah, they, would, they do They would know. wonder where you were and if you were okay. Uh -huh. And they yes. anticipate seeing you. Right? Yes. We need that sort yeah. of knowing as well. And that can, that can sustain us in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for, for joining You're us. You're so welcome. This feels like this such a treat. This is so fun. I know. It is. I wish we could. I knew you'd have fun. Stay longer. Uh, it's mm -hmm. been a treat to join you. Yeah. So thank thanks. you. Thanks, Mark. So fun.